Is it going to be there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. You guys are great. So we've done one C each day so far, but today's the last day and we have three C's left. But that's no problem because I plan to do three C's today. All right, so Reasons for Hope is the ministry that I work for, and we're going to start off today with questions. No, I'm going to say, last day to ask questions, please make sure that you get those questions asked. This is your last day, please ask. And then we're going to do a debunked. <laughs> All right, you ready? Here we go. Lots of people say there's no evidence for God. Well, we're going to knock that one out in three. I'm just going to have to keep it simple, throw in the old one-two combo, get in and out real quick, and let you fine folks chat all about it, okay? Punch one I'm going to call the info uppercut. When's the last time you walked into a library and asked, hey, where are all the books that have been written by mindless products of natural laws? The librarian would probably laugh at you and tell you that no such books exist. They don't exist because they can't exist. Why not? Because first of all, it's just common sense. The words that form the message in books always originate from a person with a brain. Or to say it a bit more scientific, Typically, the message of the book, the purpose, comes to be understood by the orderly placement of the words, design, and information. Ah, information. Now, anytime we find info, these basic laws always apply. Number one, matter doesn't spontaneously produce information. Uh, number two, only a mental source, intelligence, can generate new creative information. In other words, just like those books that couldn't originate without a mind, neither could life. Why not, you ask? Because we know that DNA contains information. Therefore, the laws of information science apply, which means the information in DNA couldn't have spontaneously generated and that a mind is behind the information. Period. No exceptions. Look at it this way. The simplest life form we know of is an amoeba, and it contains as much information in its DNA as the thousand complete sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. So, are we to believe that there's no way a message in a library book could spontaneously generate, but far more complicated messages in DNA that contain a thousand times more information could have? Not likely. You see, when it comes to life or anything else that contains information, the laws of information science confirm the necessity of a creative mind. And guess what? In the very first book of the Bible, it just happens to mention that. In the beginning, God created. Bam! Uppercut lands on the oh. chin. And now here comes the indefensible head blow. We'll call this the not a big bang bing swing, the KO to the claim that there's no evidence of God, the law of causality left hook a doom. It goes like this. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. Now, either something caused the universe to come into existence, or nothing caused it. Huh. I might not be the smartest guy behind the telescope, but honest, practical, everyday thinking's gonna lead me to the former. You have to work pretty hard to conjure up a way that nothing did it. You see, it's pretty improbable, nigh impossible, to account for design, information, and cause if the universe just exploded from nothing. Smack. And while we're on the topic, where did the matter come from that exploded? Are we really to believe that there was nothing and then it exploded, and now the exploded nothing is something, and we just happen to be smart enough to discover and understand the very laws that prove the opposite? And if the general understanding of the law of cause and effect is true, how can matter come from a lesser cause like nothing. I mean, come on. I don't have a bunch of letters after my name, but even a monkey knows better. And yeah, I snuck in a couple of extra jabs in there, so sue me. Now for some parting words from our sponsor, the Bible. It tells us in Romans 1.20 that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. It also says that people actually know the truth, but they reject it, which explains why even though there's overwhelming evidence that there is a God, evidence won't convince the unwilling. Sad but true. So there you have it. With just a couple of meaningful blows, the claim that there is no evidence for God God is down for the count, me amigos. In other words, it's been debunked. Adios.
So, so yeah, those debunked videos are great. I hope you guys go home and check them out and keep watching and looking at them and, and then drop us a line every so often to let, let us know what you think about them. Um, again, you can uh, go to our website, r4h, that's the letter R, the word for, and the letter H, dot com. And then another way to get to those links is through my personal website, danletha.com. All right, so let's do a little review, because I like to make sure that everyone's remembering what we've said already. So let's see, are this, now these are a little trickier, okay? So put on your thinking caps. Uh, there are seven days of creation, true or false? False. False, there's six days of creation, one day of rest. So there's a seven-day week, but not six days of creation. All right, animals are also created in the image of God. False. False. That's only humans have that distinction. Only God created humans in his image. All right, Adam was held responsible for sin entering the world. True. Yeah, a lot of people like to say Eve's fault. She did it first, but nope, it was Adam's responsibility. All right, and then fossil thorns are millions of years old. False. False, that's correct. They came, all thorns came after Adam's sin. And it's harmless to believe in evolution. Right, bad ideas have bad consequences. And we saw some of that last night. Lots of people have been hurt because of those bad ideas. All right, so another test, Photoshop or not. All right, now again, I'm stepping it up a little bit. You guys were really sharp on the first ones. It's going to be a little harder this time, okay? I'm just warning you. All right, that, one, that one's easy, right? Okay, that's not true. That's not Photoshop. <laughs> okay, this one is Photoshop, but it's trickier because it's all the same kind, right? It's all cat parts, so yeah, that, that one's trickier, but that one's still Photoshop. How about that one? That one's really tricky. It's actually Photoshop. It's still, the, it's still a cat, though, and it all fits together, but yeah, that's, that's Photoshop. That one's real. <laughs> that one is real. And it's funny how genetics work sometimes because however that works, the, the zebra parts are very distinct, like puzzle pieces almost, from the rest of, I think it's a horse. So that's kind of a Zorus thing. So that's just really super interesting, but that's, that's real. Right, and then, who says true, raise your hand. Who says false, raise your hand. It's real. This is a liger, and the interesting thing about ligers is that you, they're a half tiger and half lion, and so, but it's huge, right? The size of both mom and dad get added up in the offspring so that it's just, it's twice as big as the parents. They're humongous. Now, you'd think that size would be an advantage because this thing would be incredibly strong. 
it's actually a disadvantage. This couldn't live in nature real well because it, it couldn't feed itself. It would need so much food and have to expend so much energy that it works against itself. And this particular animal can only really live in captivity. All right, so I have an update about this particular topic because you guys asked a very interesting question early on. And I've been talking to not one, not two, but three scientist friends of mine about this. And so I'm just the cartoonist and I'm gonna to try to relay their answers to you as we were talking about you know, the kinds that God has made and the boundaries that God has made and you know, could evolution happen because uh, it requires the mixing of animals, right? One thing turns into another, turns into another. But the Bible says that everything was created after its own kind. And so there's those limitations that make evolution, in our view, impossible, okay? So I put out this example of a dog and a chicken and asked, could those two have an offspring and that would look something like that? And, you know, that's silly and all that. But um, I heard that there were some people that were like, well, I've seen a video that, that scientists are taking things and they're mixing stuff up and, you know, maybe this could be true type of stuff. Well, um, just like this has even some problems and this took place in a natural way, it would be possible, probably not likely, but possible for this to happen in nature because uh, a, if a, a lion and a tiger happen to cross paths, and mated, they, would, they could possibly have something like this. That could happen, okay? Could the um, dog and the chicken happen in nature? That would be impossible, right? And if it were, if something on the way to that were to be possible, would that have to be something that scientists would do in a lab laboratory? It would, and, that's, and that's a, there's a big difference there. Okay, so, I came up with this illustration this morning. This is a, a brick building, okay? Most, if not all, the materials in this brick building are taken from nature. They, they get the, the, the material for the bricks, and even the glass is, is silicone from sand, and all that stuff comes from nature, right? So in a sense, you could say, well, this is a, a natural structure. So people have made this, right? They take their tools, and they design a building with a blueprint and they do all this stuff and they put it together. So that proves that it could happen in nature, right? No, this, this could never happen in nature. You would never walk through the forest and all of a sudden see this building and go, wow, that just formed through natural processes. Okay, and that's part of the big difference between um, the dog, chicken, and the liger is that one there's still boundaries that God has made, and so scientists don't know how far they can take the mixing of some things that they're trying to do. But just because we, we can break some of God's rules, maybe, and push things in a certain direction, one, I don't believe you'll ever get a dog chicken. I don't think they, they'll, they'll ever be able to take it that far. But even if they start moving in that direction a little bit, um, that doesn't mean that God's boundaries still don't matter and... Aren't, the Bible isn't true in that regard. Does that make any sense? You guys understand that? If scientists can break some rules, see there's things happening in our world right now that are not natural and sadly uh, boys and girls are being told that there's not just male and female and so they're taking hormones and drugs and things like that and 
and people are saying, I want to be something else. And that's not natural. And yet we have the ability to do some of that stuff because we have technology. But that doesn't mean that we should do those things. So just try to keep that in mind when you're thinking about the, the kinds that God created. There's, there's things we can do, but should we do that? And God's word ultimately is still true. Okay, so, okay, and then I w went through the process there of the brick building stuff. So, would this, would this ever really happen in nature? Is that possible, really? No, it's, it's really impossible. Okay, so the, um, the uh, confusion issue, I wanted to do a little um, review on that. Why did God confuse language? Because he wanted people to move apart. Does evolution help us understand people biblically? It doesn't, although in a kind of a weird way it can illustrate the hardness of man's heart. So, um, How many biological races of people are there? One. One, right, very good. How many spiritual races of people are there? Two. Two. Now this next question, I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it in your mind, okay? Because I asked it last night. Which spiritual race are you a part of? All right, 1 Peter 3.15. This is actually the verse that my ministry name comes from. What's my ministry name? Reasons for Hope. Reasons for Hope, right. Well, you find that wording in this, uh, in this verse. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks for a reason uh, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we need to be ready to give an answer to people that ask us questions about the Bible and God. So, but our thinking needs to be based on Scripture. We need to be thinking that way. So where is your trust? Is it in God's Word? Is the basis of your thinking there? Or is it in man's ideas that are always changing all the time? And uh, Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God knows everything. So we can trust in him. So there was a question that was asked to be earlier, so I thought I'd put the, this in here. Where did God come from? Which is an excellent, excellent question. All right, so one, God is not created. See, we're born, so we have a beginning and so it's hard for us to think about a being that doesn't have a beginning, that has always been here. But that's the way God is. He's far different from us. And so he's eternal. He lives forever into the future, but he goes back forever into the past. And actually, he's outside of time. He created the time that we live in. And uh, there is no, I should have capitalized that one, there's no one greater than God. And he, like I said, again, he's an eternal, eternal being. So the seven seas of history, God made his creation. Very good. Man's sin brought to God's very good creation. God judged man's sin with a catastrophe of, of a global flood. God brought confusion to language and moved the people apart. And then today we're going to do Christ. Cross, consummation. Very, very good. All right, the seven C's of history. So here's the question to start out my 
see of Christ. Where do we first find Jesus in the Bible? Do you have any ideas about that? Who's, who says that um, we first find Jesus in the New Testament? Ooh, very good. Yeah, he's, he comes much, much earlier than the New Testament. All right, so let's go back. We're actually going to go back into the first four C's, and I'm going to show you that Jesus was in every one of those C's that we've talked about so far. All right, so he's in creation and corruption and catastrophe and confusion. So where is Jesus in creation? Well, we need to go to Christ is the creator. Did you know that? God's son is the creator. In Colossians 1, it says, for by him all things were created. And then at uh, verse 17, well, at, at the end of 16, it says, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John 1 says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. So, and then in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning God, right? But then a little later in verse 26, it says, and God said, let us make man in our image. That was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit having a conversation amongst themselves. And that's why it says, let us make God in our image. All right, where is Christ in corruption? I think I actually hinted at this one a little bit. Um, Christ is the promise. During the curse, when Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, God actually promised a Savior in the middle of that curse. In verse uh, Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, there's some interesting language there and some pictures that that verse is using. I made a cartoon that helps us kind of figure out what that verse means, and it looks like this. So here we have some footprints coming from the top, top right going across the cartoon, and you'll notice the footprints when they get to the serpent stomps that serpent down and kills it, and then what happened to the footprints? What do you see in the footprints after that? Some blood, right. The Christ was crucified, right? That he bled for our sin. And, um, and Satan was dealt the death blow. Um, he didn't win. Jesus took some damage. He paid for our sin. He died, but then he rose again. So he didn't stay dead. Now, here's something that's interesting. If you've been to the Creation Museum before, and I, when I worked there, I used to love to do this. I'd take people on tours, and I would show them this secret hidden thing in the Creation Museum. So if you're going to go to the Creation Museum, you know something special and you could point this out to people. All right, so there's a section in the museum that's the Garden of Eden and it, it's the perfect world, right? But then right at the end, you see Adam and Eve in kind of a pool of water. And we, we did, they did that because, you know, Adam and Eve have to have some kind of a covering for the world today. But um, in that area is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you zoom in on that tree. It's kind of hard to see. I'll have to use my laser and point it out to you. But um, in the tree right there, right here, there's a branch, and then there's another branch over here. Those are two arms. And then there's a kind of an indication of a face right here. And that's 
um, kind of a foreshadowing of what was to come because of what happened at that tree. We needed Jesus to die for our sins on another tree because of sin that happened at that, that first tree in the Garden of Eden. So let's see if I have another slide that closes in on that. Yep. So, so there's the face right there, kind of a, a, a rough look at what Jesus was going to do on the cross. You see right there. So when you go to the Christian Museum, you can point that out to people. And that's, um, that's a way for us to say that um, Jesus was always in the plans. That wasn't like God trying to think, oh, what, what am I going to do now? Ah, No, Jesus knew, knew this was going to happen, and he was um, ready to go, just waiting for the time to be right. And then Christ is the covering for our sin, too. Remember I talked about their... Um, well, in Romans 4, it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, God killed the first animal that's recorded in Scripture that uh, I would imagine that there would be blood shed because this animal was killed. And then Adam and Eve were provided with skins to cover their nakedness. And so that's a picture of what Christ has done for us. Um, he shed his blood for us, and because of what he did, our sins can be covered. So, and he paid that awful price on a cross, and uh, we're forever thankful for him doing that for us. Okay, so where is Christ in catastrophe? In Noah's flood, there's pictures of Jesus in this event as well. So Christ is actually the ark of salvation. Um, who survived the flood? Noah and his family and all the animals. Well, the animals aren't, aren't uh, you know, they don't get saved through the death of Christ. But anyway, the, the eight people that went on the ark um, were saved because they went onto the ark. What did they have to do to get onto the ark? They had to go through a door. And Jesus is often pictured as a door in the New Testament. Um, John 10 says, I am the door if any... If uh, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So it's the same for the ark. They had to go through the ark door to be saved, and they were. Um, and then what's our verse for this week? John 10.10? 10? Here's the whole context of that verse. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come to, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gave his, uh, gives his life for the sheep. So it's kind of nice to hear the context of that verse. All right, here's another really sad but interesting image that you find at the Creation Museum. There's uh, the ark in the background. It's kind of dark to see it there. But um, you have this rock, maybe a mountain point or something, and some people have climbed up on it. Those people did not go onto the ark, and they're going to perish. And it's a very sad picture that there's a lot of people in the world today that have been told about Jesus. They've been told that they have sin, that you can't get to heaven with that sin, and yet they choose not to follow Christ. They reject him. 
And so this is a picture of what's going to happen to them someday spiritually. They're going to wish, they're going to stand before God and they're going to wish that they had gone through the door that Jesus offers, the salvation. Um, but those people know that they're doomed and it's, it's a very, very sad picture. All right, here's a, another cartoon that I made to kind of picture what the ark was for us. The ark itself is, again, a picture of Christ because it provided the way of salvation. So here's Noah talking to his wife, and he says, Oh, we don't need life preservers on the ark. The ark is the life preserver. So. <laughs> All right. So, so my encouragement to you is time is limited. Don't miss this ark of salvation opportunity that you have here at camp to receive Jesus as your, uh, as your savior, savior. And um, Matthew 24, 38 through um, 39, a lot of people during Noah's day before the flood were partying and having marriages and they weren't paying attention to what was going on and perhaps Noah was out there going, there's rain coming, there's rain coming, the world's going to end, come to the ark and be saved. And they just said, no, no, we're happy doing what we're doing. And it says that they did not know until the flood came and took them away. And uh, also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So God's saying, don't, don't fool around, don't wait. Now is the time of salvation. All right, so where is Christ in confusion? That might be a little trickier than the other ones to try to figure out. But um, think about this. Back in the Garden of Eden, God provided a promise of a Savior, right? And he had to keep that because... Um, if anything interrupted the human family from existing, then that promise would be broken. Um, but Christ came through his chosen people that came about because of the division at the Tower of Babel. There was just one group of people, and they didn't have any particular name, right? But then God caused them to separate and break apart, and then eventually they became the, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people came out of all those people. And uh, in Genesis 11, you find the account of Abram. It turns into Abraham. And um, in Genesis 12, it says um, in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So out of all those people separating apart, the Jewish nation eventually came out of that and then out of that nation came our Savior. So that was the path that he wanted to, uh, to create so that he could keep his promise. So there's the line of Christ. It goes all the way back to Adam. And it's very, very interesting to look at this and see all the names along the way. There's Adam and Seth and um, Methuselah and Noah and Abraham and lots of people that were kind of the links in the chain all the way to the Savior coming and Jesus or God was faithful in keeping his promise through all the all of those people. So, there's the Bible, that book that we've been talking about. What do we call that book this week? The history book of the universe, correct. So, and apart from history, real history, we cannot be saved. If someone told you that you had to do something in your life because this fairy tale said that you should, would you really want to do it? No, it's just a fairy tale. Give me a break. I don't want to have to change any part of my life because it's something that's not real. 
But the Bible is real history. Sin is very real. We're all sinners because of what our forefather Adam did. And we can also be saved because of what Jesus Christ did in real history. Okay? So here we have Adam, the virgin birth, and then the death and, resur death, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this person here that's praying believes that all of those things are true, that God really did those things for him, and he's changing his life right there by giving it over to Christ. And then he has the hope of heaven because of those real things in history. All right, so we cannot be saved apart from history, but to share the good news with someone, you really need to share the bad news too. So Jesus is real, Adam. We need that first tree at the bottom for the second tree up on top to make sense. So 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So it's important that those events really, really happened. All right? And then, uh, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead. And then it goes into the history about how Adam was the one that brought sin into the world. And Christ is the one that was the cure, the payment for that sin. So again, those are how you access the materials that we've been talking about this week. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about the last three C's. But it's interesting that Christ just didn't show up in the middle of those C's, that he's been there the whole time. All right, so I hope you're encouraged by that. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for history that's real, that you've told us about. You were there, you're an eyewitness, and you were actively participating, causing those things to happen to take place just the way that you wanted them to. And uh, Lord, even though we don't, understand why some things happen. We trust you, that you know best, and um, you are God, and we love you, and we thank you for this camp this week. We pray that uh, the boys here will know you better when they leave, and that some of them will know you that didn't know you before. Thank you for this day. In your name we pray. Amen.